I'm a chronic overpacker, is what I've labeled myself as. Uh, when I'm packing to go up to, say, my parents' house, usually we do this, it's coming up Thanksgiving and Christmas, we do this marathon tour of Wisconsin where we go to both Katie's family's house and my family's house, and it's, you know, driving all over the place, and we're up there for four or five days. And when I'm packing to do that, I always pack way too many clothes when I'm picking things out, and Katie often has you know, smaller stack of clothes than I do because I'm just like, well, I need all these things. And uh, as I'm doing it, I'm saying to myself, well, I need pants. You know, if it's summer, oh, I need pants because what if it gets cold outside? And what if we have a fire? I'm going to need that pair of pants because it's going to be cold out, but then my pants are going to get smoky, so I'm going to need a backup pair of pants to, so I don't have smoky pants to wear some other time. And what if I want to play frisbee? I've got one pair of shorts, and I make this diving catch and get this big streak of mud on it. Well, I'm going to need a second pair of shorts to replace that pair of shorts I got dirty. And then uh, what if my dad asks me to help him to work on something, and all I've got you know, is just my normal clothes. I, don't, I have tennis shoes or you know, sandals or something, and I'm like, well, I don't have any work clothes. So, okay, we've got to bring some work boots and some you know, socks to wear in the work boots and some work pants and a work shirt. And usually it comes time to putting stuff in the car, and Katie's like, why are you bringing that? To what, what are you going to need this for? Well, you know, just in case this thing happens. And, and of course, in case there's some quiet downtime, I bring several books uh, that rarely leave my bag, and, but they're always there, so we always haul them up there, but I'm getting better at all this. And I also tend to hold on to random things for a long period of time. They're in my shed or in my uh, desk or whatever, and I... They have a hard time throwing it away because I'm like, what if I need this someday? Like that very moment when you know, Katie asks, oh, do we have one of these things? Well, I'm glad you asked. We actually do. Let me go and get this thing I've been saving for four years and move from you know, our last three moves, you know, whatever it is. And I wasn't a Boy Scout, but I've always liked their motto, be prepared. You know, be prepared, always be prepared, be prepared for anything. And my overpacking and my having stuff... Uh, is a way that I try to deal with the unknown. Uh, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I'm not sure what I'm going to need. I'm not sure what people are going to ask of me. I'm not sure what opportunities are going to come before me. And so I want to be prepared for all of them. And there's a, a list of what-ifs that I need to be ready for. What if this happens? What if this happens? And we all have this fear of the unknown. And my fear is that I won't be prepared or scenarios that arise and come before me. And so I want to be prepared for all those. And it doesn't only come out in you know silly ways like packing and storing stuff, but it comes out in all kinds of ways. Of when I'm thinking about future of our church or future of our family or future of anything, it's like, okay, I need to account for all possible scenarios so nothing can go wrong. We need to be prepared for all of them. I have to think through all of them. And we all have ways of dealing with the unknown in our life. We don't know what the future holds, and so we buy insurance to deal with uh, unexpected house or car or health issues. We don't know if we'll always have our job, so we create a savings account. We don't know when we'll die, so we write wills and we take out life insurance. And we have all these tactics for dealing with the what-ifs of life. And the feeling associated with all these is fear. It comes out as anxiety or stress or worry. And maybe we're not sure what someone will think of us. And so we're wringing our hands in worry. There's an unknown. What's this person going to think of me? What do, what do they think of me now after what I said or what I did? And we wring our hands in worry. And we don't know how something's going to turn out. And so we're stressed. 
We don't know what's going to happen, so we feel anxious. And when we don't know, we're afraid. And when the future is unknown, we look for ways to cope. We try to prepare for the worst-case scenarios, or at least uh, we maybe don't prepare. We just sit and, and worry about it and think about it and hope that's going to help if the bad thing that we don't want to happen happens. This week, as we're continuing this series in the book of Genesis on the life of Joseph, uh, becoming a blessing, we're seeing this family's journey. We're beginning to get to the end of this family where we saw what they looked like in chapter 37. We've seen them be going through transformations and changing. And next week, we're going to see Jacob kind of give his summary of, like, here's where you all are at and, like, your maturity and your responsibility level and what I can entrust you for the future. On the surface of things, the passage we're reading today could just be taken as like, oh, it's just a family moving. You know, we've all moved, I'm sure, in life, and you move from one house to another. You have to relocate, pack up your stuff, and go and settle down in another place. And on the surface, could be taken as that. But there's more going on because this family, we're not just like, okay, great, a family, you know, relocated uh, 3,000 years ago, 3,500 years ago. This is more like 4,000 years ago. But um, so, what's the big deal? Who cares? Why are we reading about some family moving? Uh, from one country to another 4,000 years ago. <coughs> but what we know of Jacob's family is that they were chosen by God to bring blessing back to the world, to be a channel of God's loving and life-giving presence. But what we see is this family in the book of Genesis is uh, falls far short of exemplary. Like, oh, this is the kind of family I'd like to have. And it's kind of like, uh, no, they're not, not that great a lot of times. Um, they have these great moments, but they also have tons of failures and tons of horrible things that they do. And Jacob has these 12 sons, and the picture we're shown of them in chapter 37 is that they uh, are hateful and jealous and vengeful. They plot their brother Joseph's murder, but instead decide to sell him into slavery to human traffickers, and then fake his death to his dad. And so by the time we hit our story today, uh, chapter 45, that was 22 years ago, 22 years Jacob, his thought his son Joseph, was dead, and all or most of his brothers have been hiding it from their dad and keeping the secret. Joseph was sold into slavery, taken down to Egypt, sold there, falsely accused of sexual misconduct, put in prison. And we're told that Joseph, in all of that, is part of a family blessed by God, sounds like a real great family blessed by God, uh, that God is with them. And God wants to use him in a special way. He has this dream of how God's going to use him. And so these two things don't really make sense together. He's sold into slavery by his own brothers who are supposed to be a blessing to the rest of the world of God's love and presence. How does that work out? And then also he's falsely accused, put in prison, and just not going well. But after 13 years of living as a slave and prisoner, Joseph is exalted to right-hand man of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He's put in charge of managing the food supply in Egypt so that they can survive this upcoming famine. And this famine doesn't only affect Egypt, it goes all the way up to Canaan, where Joseph is from, is where his family still lives. And so Jacob, his dad, his famine's hit, and he says, got to go down and get food. His brothers go down for food, and on their second trip down, they take two, they discover the man that they've been buying food from is none other than Joseph, the brother they sold into slavery 22 years prior, that they are standing before the very person that they... Uh, tried to get rid of, and they thought was gone forever or possibly dead. You know, Joseph reveals himself. They're, of course, dismayed uh, and distressed and wondering what is he going to do, and he comforts them and tells them uh, that not to be dismayed, and he hugs them and kisses them, and then they talk, 
And when Pharaoh hears that his, Joseph's brothers has come down, he says, you have to go and get your father as well and bring all their households down, and we're going to take care of them here in Egypt. And that's what we saw in our first scripture reading in Genesis chapter 45. Now we're going to be going, uh, we're going to be covering this whole move from, we're kind of, the story in some ways has moved off of the brothers and Joseph and we're on Jacob. And Jacob is leaving this land that he was told by God, uh, I'm giving this to you as the land I'm promising to you. You're going to live here. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And now he has this decision where he's leaving the land. Like, am I being disobedient to God? Was this a good choice? Like, I'm leaving the land that God told me face-to-face that I was going to have, and now he's leaving it. And so we're going to look, starting in verses 1 through 4, chapter 46. <clears throat> we're just going to look at this, uh, these words that God says to Jacob as he's about to leave. He's leaving behind the land that he probably thought he'd live in the rest of his life and grow his family in, and that he'd pass down to his kids. You know, like you got... Maybe you have some, oh, like a farmhouse or something in your family or some house that it's like, oh man, that's where mom and dad grew up. Or, you know, not, probably not mom and dad. Mom or dad grew up and then their parents gave it to them. And then it's like, you've lived in this place for generations and now it's like, are you going to get rid of it? What are you going to do? Leave this. And Jacob probably thought God's going to fulfill his promises to me here. Make me into a great nation. And as he leaves behind what God has promised, God assures him that he will still bring about his promises. And he comforts Jacob with the assurance that he's going down with them to Egypt and he's going to bring them back up again. And so let's look at those, uh, the words in uh, verses 1 through 4, chapter 46. It says, So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba. So he makes a, a pit stop along the way right at the edge of the land of Canaan where he's been living. Take, makes this pit stop where his dad and his grandfather had offered sacrifices to God. And he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Verse 2, And God spoke to Israel, or Jacob is his other name, in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. For I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt. I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. And I want to, and I just, this moment of like, he's leaving, and God tells him, don't be afraid. So you can imagine, he's afraid, he's leaving. What is going to happen here? Um, and God does this kindness of like, okay, I'm going to come and talk to Jacob. I'm going to reassure him. I'm going to tell him this is going to be okay. But let's just take a moment. What might Jacob be afraid of? What are some of the things he might be afraid of as he's leaving? I can think about ourselves. What happens when we leave a place that we know and for a place that's unknown? What might he be afraid of? His safety. His family safety. Safety. Yeah, of everyone involved. Like, who's this Pharaoh guy? Can I trust him? I'm going to be in somebody else's nation. Yeah. Or on the way. He might be afraid that he's not doing what God wants him to do because God was going to told him he was going to give him the land of Canaan and they're leaving it. So yeah, maybe not doing God's will or we could say disobeying, leaving what God promised. 
We know for a place we don't know, we can be afraid. Am I going to meet anybody here? Like, am I going to know anyone? Yeah. Failure. Failure. And um, <clears throat> you could be afraid of not being accepted. Yeah, different people, different culture, look very different than Jacob and his family. They said, yeah, not accepted. So we'll add rejected to this. Uh, Minor details. Not accepted an abomination. Yeah. Uh, really escalated quickly there. <laughs> and, and who knows, there might not be any uh, grass for our sheep down in the desert. Yeah. yeah. So let's say rejected, despised. That's be a good way to call abomination. Yeah, that's like, I don't really want to be called that ever. Like, you know what, you're an abomination to this family. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, no food. Any failure, it would be. How would you be a failure as a shepherd if you couldn't find a place uh, to feed your sheep? Yeah, no pasture. Yeah, bring all our animals down there. Is there anything for them? Maybe Joseph isn't really alive. I mean, does it for nothing? Yeah, (coughs) I was deceived. They deceived you before. Maybe Joseph isn't alive. Maybe he won't come back to the land. Never come back. Uh-oh. My pen's getting weak. You like your voice? Yes. <laughs> the strength of my voice is tied up in this pen. Uh-oh. Oh, I broke it. I need a new one. <laughs> Not that they would do something, but it just broke. Anything else that he might be afraid of? keeps his family together and how, how everybody okay. reacts to it. Okay, so a family um, this not um, Some might not want to go. Yeah. This one's broken too. Oh boy. What are you doing with that? I don't know. <laughs> family dis, dis uh, I don't know what the word is. Unity. There we go. But I think part of that like family is also like um as a man, you're you have a lot on your shoulders, and you could really disappoint your family. Okay. You can't live up to, um, you know, the expectations. So he could disappoint his family. Like I just decided the fate of the rest of my family. This is everybody. Jacob, all his sons, all their household. We're all going down there. Yeah, I think related to safety is what the brothers had, had been afraid of earlier, that they would all become slaves. Okay. Joseph would take them all, make them slaves, and take their stuff. Slavery. Maybe this is a big ploy by Pharaoh. 
He's going to capture them, make them slaves. Yeah, let's pause there. Um, there's a lot we can imagine he's afraid of. And then, you know, think for yourself. Do you have any of those same fears? And what sorts of unknowns do we face in life? Um, and just shout some of those out. What are some of the unknowns that we face in life as we go through? I mean, we have the one of moving. How much longer will we live? Longer we'll live, when we'll die. Health. Health. Mm-hmm. Just making the right decision. Yeah, I was just gonna go. Like, which one? Sh- which is the right decision? I don't know. Yeah, and then I don't know how that's gonna turn out if I do this. How many pair of pants do I need to bring up to Wisconsin? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. Now, well, now I know we can start a like a support group for each other if people would struggle with this. Maybe like, will I have a job? You know, will I get a job? Will I have enough money to provide mm-hmm. for my needs? Security. Yeah. Security. Mhm. Security in many forms. Yeah. But the big idea <coughs> as we go through this story. It's doing with the unknown. So in the unknown, cling to what you know of God. In the unknown, cling to what you know of God. Because we can we know things about God. And there's lots of unknown, but we can cling to what we do know of God in the midst of the unknown. So in the unknown, cling to what you know of God. And we're going to see four truths about God as we navigate the unknown, as we go through this story. And so the first... We are seeing in chapter 46 uh, that we get uh, their travel down to um, to Egypt. And the truth we see here is God is with you and for you. And so the first truth about God as we navigate the unknown is God is with you and for you. And we saw this in uh, what God's telling to Jacob. Like, look, you're not abandoning the promises. You're not failing here. Um, I'm going to be with you. I myself am going to go down with you. And I'm going to be for you. I'm going to be working for your benefit. I'm going to make you fruitful and make you a great nation down there. And so he says, and I'm going to bring you back up again. You're going to see Joseph. You're not going to die halfway. You're, Joseph's really down there. You're going to see him. And he's going to close your eyes. And God is with you and for you. And we have all these names in verses 8 uh, through 25. All these names of all the members of Jacob's family that went down down there. We're not going to read through all those names. I know you'd like to see if I can read them all. Um, but just because we're not going to read them doesn't mean they aren't important. Because this is real people from a real family who lived a long time ago that are going through a huge transition in their lives. And it's, record, it's a record of the faithfulness of God. Like, look, we had this family. We could have starved to death. And look at the amazing plan of God for how he preserved our lives. We did this evil thing to our brother, so that he was down in Egypt, and these Egyptians, they wouldn't have let us live there. All of our animals would have died. These Egyptians hate us. They think we're an abomination. We saw that, despised, and they would have rejected us, and they wouldn't have let us live there. But God worked through his plan where he put Joseph down there, got Pharaoh's favor because he could interpret dreams, and now... The very brother that they sent down to their evil actions is now the one saving their lives. And this record of these names is like, look at all the lives that 
God saved through these evil actions and through Joseph and his plan that he worked out here. And it's a record of his faithfulness. And in the unknown, we need to cling what we know to what we know of God. And we often are very forgetful. We're very forgetful of what God has done. And these names let the people of Israel, reading this later, see, look what God did. It's a record of his faithfulness. And so often in the Psalms and elsewhere in the Bible it says, Remember his faithfulness, and his faithfulness becomes this like solid ground we can stand on today to say God has been faithful and He's done things. And we so something we can take from this is you know do we take time to reflect how God has been at work in our lives? Do you have anywhere that you keep any sort of journal or write things down, diary, I don't whatever it is of like God did this crazy thing for me on whatever today, November tenth, two thousand nineteen. I needed 50 bucks, and you know, a friend called me up and gave me 50 bucks. Like, is there any way you keep, where you keep things like that? Or like, I was praying for X, and then two weeks later, X happened. It was crazy, you know. Like, God, or God did this this way of working in my life. And if, oftentimes, when we hit the years, just like we saw in this, they said there's gonna be seven years of abundance in Egypt, seven years of famine. Those seven years of famine are gonna be so bad you're gonna forget the years of abundance. And in our lives, too, we have times where it's like God's answering prayers, He's doing things, we have these years of abundance, and it's like, things aren't going so well right now, is God even here? And it's like, well, you just had seven years of abundance, and we just forget about all that, and we need to have a way where we're keeping track or recording in some way of, like, this is how God worked for me, and I saw Him meet me and um, uh, work uh, for, my, for my needs. Second truth about God as we navigate the unknown <clears throat> is that God will bring you to him. <clears throat> this is in chapter 46, verses 28 through 34. And this is, I read this, uh, where we see Judah sent ahead of the family. Judah's kind of taken the lead in this family. He's got, uh, become a person of character. Um, he takes the lead in the family and he comes and meets Joseph and he starts getting him settled in the land of Goshen. And then finally Joseph and his uh, dad meet up and they weep and uh, fall on each other, you know, f- this, you know, this term. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. You know, just this like, you know, falling on somebody, just like hugging them and weeping and, and kissing neck, uh, is a term of affection. And Jacob says, you know, I'm, I'm okay to, to die now. Uh, I've seen my son. But you also see uh, Joseph uh, saying, how are we going to work this out that you guys are going to get a plot of land? given to you by the ruler of Egypt. Like, how is that going to work out? You know, that they're going to get the best of the land, they keep calling Goshen, for their sheep to, to herd and stuff, especially when they're this abomination to the Egyptians. Like, what? we're not going to let these people live here. They're despised by us. And what we take from this, God's going to bring us to him. So we see God fulfilling his promise. You will see Joseph. I'm going to bring you down there. You're going to see Joseph. And God, when we trust in Jesus, he says... I'm not going to let one person fall. I'm going to bring you to me. That's not, I'm not going to let you fall. But what's interesting here is that God does that through people because you see, like, there's Jake, Judah's taking the lead here, Joseph's doing all this work, and God's been working through these two guys, especially Joseph, to make it so that this family can live safe. And God's usual way of providing for us, of bringing us to the end of our faith staying strong, the end of our life when we see him or are brought to him. He does that. He brings us to him through people. And God's people, I've said before, God's people are God's delivery system 
for his care. <coughs> God's people are his delivery system for his care. And there's all over the Bible says that we will not make it to the end of our lives still trusting in Jesus without other people. That if we try to do it on our own, we will not we will fail. And so God uses other people to bring us to him to keep us faithful to the end of our life. And in the unknown, we need to cling to what we know of God, and God will bring us to him, and he's going to use other people to do it. Thirdly, fourth truth about God is third truth about God as we navigate the unknown. God wants to use you. God wants to use you. This is seen chapter 47, verses 1 through 12. Now I said God wants to use you, not will use you, because we've talked about how God works through people who die to themselves, but he works in spite of people who live for themselves. And God wants to use us, and sometimes we get in the way of that. We hold on to our rights, we're selfish, we ignore his plan, we just want our plans to be done, our kingdom to come, our will be done on earth. And God wants to use you. So let's read chapter 47, verses 1 through 12. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. From among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. (coughs) The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. If you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. They have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. Jacob blessed Pharaoh went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt and the best of the land and the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. God wants to use you. In this moment where Joseph is orchestrated, like, how am I going to get my family to settle in the best land of Egypt for the sheep to live and whatever other livestock they have? And he has this plan of how he's going to talk to Pharaoh and, you know, do this and bring these brothers and say this. And Pharaoh says, like, yeah, you guys can have that. Um, And then he's really impressed with Jacob. Jacob comes in before him and he's like, wow, can tell he's an elderly guy. And he's like, how old are you? And Jacob uh, just seemed to me, I could be wrong, it just seems like this, like a wasted opportunity. Like what, he has this opportunity to talk to Pharaoh uh, about what you know, you 130 years old. Like, tell me the days of your life. And what does he say? He says, "Well, few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and not attained to the days of the years of life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning." It's like, is that like the the very that the top priority thing? Like, he wanted to say to this you know other ruler of this 
condemnation of like, you know, I want to tell you about how hard my life has been. Um, but it's like these two nations are meeting. Jacob, who is going to be grown in this great nation, God says, and Pharaoh, and they meet together. And God has made it so these shepherds, who would normally be an abomination to the Egyptians, and who wouldn't even be able to eat with them, are now welcome into Egypt and even into Pharaoh's presence, and are blessing Pharaoh, and are going to dwell in the very best land of Egypt. And Jacob still has his mission from God. Even though he's been sent out of his promised land, sent out of what he knew and where he thought he would be, Like he still has a mission from God to be a blessing to, the, to other people. And in the unknown, we cling to what we know of God. Jacob does bless Pharaoh. We don't know what those words were. He sends a blessing, you know, which is crazy, saying... Uh, this shepherd abomination to him is saying a blessing over the ruler of this nation. It's like God said, I'm going to bless you so you'll be a blessing. And Joseph has for sure been a blessing to the Egyptians. And now he's welcoming the rest of his family because of what they've done, uh, what Joseph has done. But in the unknown, we cling to what we know of God. And God wants to use us. And even if we don't know what's going to happen today or tomorrow or how things are going to go, God wants to use us in the unknown. And every Sunday, uh, you're trained um, to share the gospel with someone in a natural, personal way that connects with the needs of your life. Because if you notice, what we do every Sunday, or what I do, is we usually talk about a situation in our lives, right? Of like today, we're talking about the unknown. Well, how do we feel about that? What? How does that work out? And then we go into a scripture passage that says, "What does God have to say about this?" And so every Sunday. Um, you leave being able to, you've heard God's word applying to your situation, and then you leave into a world of a ton of other people in that same situation, feeling the unknowns of life or feeling um, whatever it is. And now when you, you know, people are always telling us their solutions um, that they found for their problems. Um, you know, have you tried doing this? I've tried this for whatever whatever it is. And so what's wrong with us ask, offering a spiritual solution to some problem. You're like, oh, I you know, feel really worried and anxious all the time. And we can, in a really you know, polite way, say, like, could I share with you how I've dealt with worry? Um, and then you can even open your Bible. Like, can I read a Bible passage to you? I wouldn't, you wouldn't, couldn't read two and a half chapters and you know, a couple genealogies. But you could read a, a part like of where Jacob uh, is getting this thing from God. This, you know, he's afraid and he gets this vision from God. You could say, like, this really encouraged me. I heard it this past Sunday, and I had this unknown in my life, and God spoke to me through this, and I was assured of all of these things. And like that's our opportunity to be able to share about God, about Jesus, about our faith with people in a really natural way. <clears throat> Fourthly, the fourth truth about God, as we're navigating the unknown, is in verses 47, or chapter 47, verses 13 through 28. It's God will grow you. God will grow you. Chapter 47, verses 13 through 28. As a summary of this, um, I would love to read it. Basically what happens is we're told, verse 13, Now there is no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And now what's happening is they have Joseph stored up all this grain. People are coming and buying the grain. And then eventually they run out of money. And so they start giving them their livestock for grain. Like, should we die? We'll give you this. And then eventually they give them their property. And then they eventually say, just take us. 
we'll become slaves of Pharaoh, slaves of the government, so that we can have food to eat. Otherwise, we're going to die. And then it might seem like, oh, Joseph, like he was kind of a part of you know, slavery in Egypt, and we don't, you know, it's not a, a great word for us in the United States. Um, but we have to realize that there wasn't like government welfare. Like this was government welfare. Like if you could not afford to eat, pay your bill, you know, not bills, but if you can't get food on the table, like you just need to put yourself in somebody's else, others, somebody else's household, and become their servant because now they're going to put food on your table and you're working for them. You just don't run your own business. You don't have your own thing going on. That's how you can save your family. That's like the welfare system, uh, you know, like declaring bankruptcy or something like that. And what's interesting is as the Egyptians are losing all their stuff, they sell their property, they sell their livestock, they sell even themselves, the contrast statement uh, is in verse 27, chapter 47. Thus, Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. So Jacob's there, another 17 years. But the contrast is, while the Egyptians are losing all their stuff and even their very own selves, uh, the Israelites, who don't even belong there, gain possessions, and they're fruitful and multiply. They're becoming a great nation, just like God has said. And the big idea is that God will grow you. And in the, through the unknown, through difficulty, through what you don't know, that God uh, has begun, Philippians 1.6 says, God, the good work he's begun in us, he will bring to completion. And you can, you can just bank on the fact, know that God... You know, this is unknown. I don't know what this future is, but you know what? I know you're going to make me more like Jesus. I know you're going to grow me. I know you're going to work whatever happens up for my good, and you're going to grow me through this, and I can trust you in that, that I'm going to become more the person you want me to be. <coughs> and back at the beginning of the story, I'm not going to read there, but if you want to, you can flip there. At the end of chapter 45, verses 25 through 28, the brothers come and they tell Jacob, Joseph's alive. And he doesn't believe it. He says, no way. Like his heart grows numb, it says. He doesn't believe it. And it takes Joseph's words, they report Joseph's words to Jacob and the Egyptian wagons to convince him. He hears the words of Joseph, like this is what Joseph said. And it's like, really? But then he sees he's all these wagons full of stuff coming from Egypt. And he, all of a sudden he believes Joseph is alive. And we're told... They, they also told their dad that Joseph is alive and he's the ruler. And we're told, you know, if I tell you Jesus is alive and he's the ruler of all things, you might be like, well, okay, like, he lived a long time ago. How, I just assumed he's dead. You know, he's alive and he's the ruler of all things. And we would be unconvinced, but we have his words given to us by his first disciples in the New Testament. And we have a taste of the, you know, kind of our wagons from Egypt, you know, wagons from God, our, our taste you know, those wagons are like, whoa, why would Egypt send this up? This is like a taste of what life is going to be like. And the Holy Spirit, we're told, is like this taste, this down payment, the first fruits of what future is going to be like. like J Jacob's trying to be convinced by his family, his sons, we need to go down there. We need to go into this unknown future. And it's like, well, why, why should I trust that? We have these words of Scripture. We have the Holy Spirit. 
<coughs> or confirm to us that it's really happening. There may be many unknowns about the future, but if you have trusted in Jesus, you have a living hope. And Jesus is our living hope, and he tells us that he's going to be with us, that he's for us, that he wants to use us, he can use us, and he's going to grow us. And we have this assurance that we will see him face to face, that that is the future. And Jacob gets this assurance, you will see Joseph face to face, you will make it there, I will be with you, and I'm going to bring you to the end. And Jacob holds on to the truth that God's with him. Joseph is alive. There's going to be a lot of unknowns on the way, a lot of unknowns in Egypt. But he had these promises. He knew some things were for sure, even though there are many unknowns. And we hold on to the truth that God is with us, that Jesus is alive, and that he will bring us safely to him. We will see him, and there's many unknowns. On the journey to the end of that hope, we have the promises of God. An unknown... We cling to what we know of God. And I just want you to take a moment. What's an unknown in your life that has you afraid or anxious or stressed <coughs> or worried? And take a moment, you can just think of it or write it down. What's an unknown in your life that has you afraid, anxious, stressed, or worried? Could be what someone's think of you, how they're going to react, something that's going to happen. What's an unknown in your life that has you afraid, anxious, stressed, or worried? level question is, why do we live with a fear of the unknown? Why do we live with a fear of the unknown? And I think I've shared this story before, but when we were, um, when I was in seminary, uh, before I graduated, there was another guy graduating, and his plan was to go get his PhD up in Canada. So he was moving from Deerfield, Illinois, up to Canada, and it's like, okay, you're leaving everything you know, all these friends, this school, you're not going to know anybody, you're going to a different country. And another friend and I asked him, like, are you, are you worried? Are you nervous about that? Like, are you scared of anything? And he said, well, you know, a lot of times, just paraphrase, a lot of times we have a godless imagination of the future. When we imagine our future, we're imagining everything that could go wrong or might go wrong, and God isn't there. It's a godless imagination of the future. He's just absent. He's not there. And he talked about, like, that we need to have a God-filled imagination of the future. That one, imagine going to Canada, imagine doing whatever it is, talking to this person, doing this thing, taking this step of faith, that we don't imagine it's just us alone there, that God's absent, but we have this God-filled imagination that whatever happens, God will be there with me, and I can cling to the truth about him. I can cling to what I know about him. And we fear the unknown because we don't trust God will be there for us, that he's... Or that if he is there, he's not enough to handle what we're going through or to use it for our good. And we don't think he cares about it or that it matters. Like, I'm heading into this thing and God's no help because he doesn't care about it. He's got bigger things to do. And we have this godless imagination of our future. So an exercise we've done before, um, which I want to encourage you to do, is take, as you are seeing that unknown in your life and you're afraid and anxious and worried or stressed, you know, take the what-ifs of that 
you know, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if they do this? What if that? And change it into an even if. You know, even if that happens. Like, this is what I know is true of God. And I want to encourage you, um, these, these four G's work well for that. And I'll just run through them. If you want to grab a picture of this later, you can. Uh, but, you know, God is great. Uh, the, the, there's an unknown of what's going to happen. But even if the worst thing happens, God is great. So I don't have to be in control. I can trust him that he's got things handled, even if it's not going how I want it to be. Or God is glorious. We have this unknown of other people and how they react or how they treat me. And so even if they don't like what I have to say, even if they don't do what I want to, them to do, even if they get mad at me or reject me or despise me, and God is glorious, so I don't have to fear others. <coughs> and I think that good, great speaks the unknown of what's going to happen, and good speaks the unknown of how it's going to go. You know, what if I'm gonna? What if I fail? What if? What if it doesn't work out how I want it to do to work out? And it's even if things don't go how I want it to, even if even if God, uh, e- even if things don't go well, God is good, and so I don't have to look to my successes or things going how I want it to for my satisfaction. Like I can trust that the way it turns out is the best possible. Is God's plan for me? He's going to work all things for my good. And then the unknown with gracious, the unknown of how we're going to do. Am I up to the task? What if I mess up? What if I do it wrong? Well, even if I do mess up, even if I sin, even if I blow it, God is gracious, so I don't have to prove myself to earn his love, to have him accept me and love uh, you know, embrace me. And so these are helpful ways. So if you have what-ifs, you know, change them into an even-if with the four Gs. And in the unknown of life, we can cling to what we know is true of God. And as we go as a church family, we're this community of hope that doesn't live in the world like everyone else lives in the world because we have this, this future hope. We know that this world and how it is is not ultimately um, our, our, our hope. Our hope is staked on something future of the inheritance, the new creation, new heavens and new earth, seeing God being in his presence. Um, you can read of all this, Revelation 21, 22. Read that and say, that's what I have to look forward to. Jesus coming back and bringing all that into my life, and that's going to transform this world, and we don't have to place our hope in, oh, am I getting everything that I want it to be here? Because we realize this world's broken by our sin, and that's our future hope, and we're to be a community of hope that's holding on to that, no matter what turmoil is happening here. Like That's our anchor, and that anchors our souls. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you that you give us hope that even in a world that is starved for your presence, starved for spiritual life, that we can sit in the abundance of it. That you, Jesus, came to give us abundant life, to give us your loving presence. And so thank you, Father, for this hope, for your grace, and for calling us into your family, and for promising that you'll bring us to the end if we hold on to you. So just strengthen our grip on you, strengthen our grip on what's true about you, even in the midst of the unknown. In the name we pray. Amen. Amen.